I want to invite those of you who have never taken that step of baptism in your life to consider doing so. Um, baptism is this outward picture of a miracle that God does inside of us when, when we turn to Jesus in faith and he forgives us an old life that is buried and gone and we are raised to new life in him. That's what baptism is the picture of. Next Sunday evening, we're going to start about 7.30 out at the farm. Um, we're just going to hang out for a little bit. There'll be some, some ice cream and, and hopefully some kettle corn and stuff like that. Just going to hang out a little bit, some snacks. About 8.30, we're going to gather around one of those ponds there, and, and we've got some folks already who are committed to be baptized, but I know that there are some of you that you still need to take that step. In the Bible, baptism is always after someone chooses to follow Jesus. And so even if you've been baptized, maybe when you were a baby, maybe as a child, but it really wasn't your decision. But now you've come to the place that you love Jesus, you follow him, I want to encourage you to do the very first thing that Jesus calls us to do. There is something very powerful that happens when you follow him in that way. So, next Sunday evening, we're going to gather all campuses there. Um, it's outside, which is going to help us with all the scenario that's going on right now. You'll be able to spread out as much as you want to. It's just going to be a great time to be together. It is always one of my favorite moments when we gather around that water and we celebrate miracles that God is doing in the lives of people. All right? I encourage you. If you need to talk about it, let's talk about it. We'd love to answer any questions and help you take those steps. Well, it is good to see you. We joke about that means more than ever right now. We've always used those words, hey, good to see you. But more and more, it's like, it's really good to see you. And so good for those of you who are joining us online. Um, Adrian Crew is, is kicking it off again today. I hope you guys are having a, a great day. I, I thank you for choosing to be a part of this gathering today. I want to tell you a story. It was a, a day that God told his prophet Samuel that it was time for him to locate the next king of Israel. And you can find the story in the book of 1 Samuel. We've actually read through it already as, as we read through it, but you can read it again. Uh, Samuel shows up at the house of a man named Jesse who has many sons, and the instruction is one of them is going to be the new king. And so uh, Jesse begins to parade his boys in front of Samuel, uh, sort of like an episode of The Bachelorette, um, so I'm told, so I'm told. One by one, here's the son. God says to Samuel, that's not him. That's not him. That's not him. That's not him. Seven sons. It, it gets to the point where Samuel says, Jesse, is this all your sons? And Jesse's response is, well, they're still the youngest one. But he's out there tending the sheep. And sure enough, this boy, David, shepherd boy, David, songwriter, David, is going to become king of Israel, David. 
But there's something in that story that I think sometimes we tend to overlook. Do we see the fact that when Jesse is told by Samuel, hey, one of your sons is going to be the next king, anybody pick up on the fact that Jesse just really doesn't even consider that it might be David? I mean, do we, do we get the picture that in Jesse's mind, David is kind of overlooked, to be honest. He's not even invited until the prophet of God says, hey, invite him. And, and I'm saying when I read that, there's a, there's a bit of my heart, there's a, there's a sad picture there. Because I don't know everything about Jesse and David's relationship, but here's what I do know. There are a bunch of people that I tend to talk to in any given week that if they're really honest with me, they would say, you know what, Jeff, I'm willing to admit that's a little bit of what I felt like as a kid. I I never really felt like my dad ever really believed in me. I I never really felt like my mom ever really accepted me. I mean, you know, they did stuff and we kind of called ourselves, but but I never really felt like I was invited into this possibility that I really could be something. I'm saying every one of us, whether it's from a parent or really from anyone in life, we all are looking for people who will invite us in. We are. We're, we're all looking for people who will invite us. And so when I say that, here's what I, here's what I want you to understand that I'm talking about today. I, I'm talking about we're looking for people who will include us. Uh, somebody who says, I want you to be with me. That's the kind of people we, we want to know. Right? P- people that want us to be around, people who believe that our presence matters. When I say we're looking for somebody who will invite us in, not only does it mean to include, but, but it also means I'm looking for somebody who will intervene in my life. Somebody who will say, I am ready to help you. When, when I'm in distress, when I'm in trouble, somebody who's willing to, to come to my aid. When I say I'm looking for somebody to invite, it means I'm also looking for somebody who will invest in me. Somebody who will say, I believe in you and will pour myself into you. I see your gifts and I see your talents and I see your potential and and I want to be a part of helping to cultivate that in you. I want to push you from where you are to where you can be. Come on, these are, this is what you want a dad to see in you. This is what you want a mom to bring to the relationship. This is what you want to see people do in your life. What happens, what do we do when this is missing from the very people that we should be able to rely on it the most? How do you heal from something like that? Well, David, as you know, was a songwriter. 
The Psalms that he writes, we call them Psalms. So when you read in your Bible and you, you see the Psalms, David wrote about 70 of those Psalms. And today, I want to show you one of those Psalms, and is really only going to look at just a couple of verses in that Psalm, but it offers some insight into the question that I'm asking. What happens when you're not getting these basic things from the people that you should be able to trust them from? How do you heal from that? Check it out. Psalm chapter 27 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to start in verse 4, and then I'm going to back up and get another verse. But let's start in verse 4. Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. Look at this, look at this line. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. Let's just stop there, right? One thing I ask of the Lord. Like if I said, okay, you got one thing. That, that, like what's the one thing that you're really asking God for? Some of y'all are thinking, I'm asking God for a $503 million contract. Right? Right? $503 million Mr. Mahomes signed a contract for this last week, and there's a lot of people going, I'm asking God for a $503 million contract. God, do you know the things we could do in this world if you gave me a $503 million? God, do you know the difference that we could make in people's lives? God, do you, do you know how many people we could serve and help? One thing I ask. Or, or maybe for some people it would be something like, I just want my health. One thing I ask of God, I just want my health. And that this whole crazy sickness thing just adds to that and goes, I, I just want good health. One thing that I could ask of the Lord, one thing I seek of him, my health. Uh, for other people, it might be a relationship. It's like one thing, I just, God, I want a husband. God, I want a wife. God, I, right, I, I, I want a friendship. One thing that I would ask, let me show you what David asked for. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, I want to paint this picture for you because David, as I showed you a minute ago, you, you think about David on the outside. David, David's out in the pasture. He's the guy doing the, the menial, lowly work of shepherding. That's what, that's what shepherds were like in that day. Samuel rolls into town, and David's dad doesn't even invite him into his own home. But David comes to find there was a house that he would much rather be in. And that house is none other than God himself. He, he says, look, look, God, I just want to be with you. God, if there's one thing in this whole world that I could ask for, if there is one thing that I could just plead for, God, it's I want to be with you. God, I want to know you. God, I want to study you. I want to understand you. I want to learn from you. God, I want to enjoy you. When the Bible makes reference to the temple, it is making reference to in that day, that is where the presence of God is recognized. And David's saying, if I got one request, one thing that I could ask of God, God, I just want to be in your presence. That's all I want. And David 
in his life develops this sense and source of secure identity. And the question is, how does David grow up to have such a security in who he is? And I'm telling you, the answer is he found a father who would include. And I'm asking you, do you know this today? God wants you to be with him. Do you know that today? God wants you to be with him. And I get it that some of us, that that seems a little crazy. And the the reason it seems a little crazy is because I know me. So I know the stuff in me. I, I know what's ugly in me. And I know that sometimes it's hard to get imperfect people to be okay with me. So if I'm dealing with God who has no imperfection, he gets everything completely right. And then, and then we're saying that somehow God wants me to, to hang out with him. God wants me to be close to him. Why would God want to hang out with me? And yet we read in the scripture that it says for us, for any of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, he adopts us as his sons and his daughters. He wants us to be with him. I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you that sometimes it doesn't seem like a lot of us, though, really want to be with him. It doesn't seem like we really want to be with him. Oh, we want to be with him when we're in trouble. We're really grateful that that God can be there when we're in trouble. But for many people, if it's one thing we're asking for, it's like right now, what are you asking most for? Well, we're asking for good health or we're asking for financial security or, or we're asking for that thing that would better entertain our life. That thing that would, that would give us more pleasure, more enjoyment, right? God, that's the, that's what we're asking for. I'm saying, come on, let's be honest. If we struggle, to even spend a few minutes a day in a devotion with God, then what does that tell us about our true heart's desire of being with him? And I have come to the conclusion, y'all, we don't know who we're missing here. We don't really know the God that we're missing out on being with. We, we think that, that other stuff somehow is, is more important in terms of what we ask. No, we don't really know who we're dealing with. We don't know who we're missing when God says, I want you to be with me. And I think David tackles this. Back in verse 1, check it out. Back in verse 1, chapter 27, here's how it reads. The Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Let's just leave that up for a minute because I, I want you to see those words that, I have, that we have highlighted there. When he, when he says the Lord is light, 
light represents all that's right and pure and just. And so David's saying, in this dark world where stuff is broken, there is a heavenly father who, who intervenes for us. He, he rules over everything. And one day, one day, every ounce of darkness is going to be repealed by the glory of who he is. When he says salvation, salvation in its broadest terms means being delivered from evil. And so even though there are times that it seems like the bad guys are winning, the Bible declares one day evil will not succeed. Yesterday, preached a funeral. And I'm going to tell you guys, sometimes the moments that God speaks to me the loudest are when I do funerals. Because at funerals, you don't deal with a lot of fluff. At funerals, you deal with stuff of life and death. At funerals, you talk about what matters most. And you realize the difference between temporary and eternal. And yesterday for me, it was Miss Dawn Close's funeral yesterday. And yesterday for me, the moment that God spoke the loudest was what actually happened when we got to the cemetery. And as I, as I walked into that cemetery, it was, it was so loud of God speaking to my heart. I, I didn't have it in my notes. It wasn't what I planned to say. But I suddenly realized as I was standing there, there we were in front of Dawn's grave. And it felt like she's just gone too soon. A, a lady with so much love for Jesus, a, a lady who literally would leverage her life to resource the mission of God. And this is like she's gone too soon, but a battle with sickness. And here we are at a funeral. Just up the hill from there, there's another grave. It's my sister's. She was even younger than Dawn. You talk about a lady who loved Jesus and loved the mission of God. She gave most of her life either serving in fellowship of Christian athletes or serving in a children's home. And yet even at a younger age, a battle with sickness that ended in a funeral. A few rows over, there's a marker of a young man named Zach Schrock. Talk about too young. He's just a little boy. Just a little boy that loved Jesus. But a fight with sickness that ended in a funeral. But it was as though God was reminding me yesterday, there's going to come a day. I believe all of three of those folks are with Jesus today. But there's going to come a day when a trumpet's going to blow. And when it does, that cemetery is going to be a sight to behold. Because with new bodies, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And it's going to be because one day 
Jesus is going to preach one final sermon when sin and death have their funeral, are buried, and will never rise again. When it says he is our salvation, do you know who you're missing here? When it says he is our salvation, do you know who you're dealing with here? He's our stronghold, David says. In times of trouble, David at times would need a a place to run, shelter, protection, when you feel weak, when you feel vulnerable. That's the imagery here. David came to find God. Not only would include him, not not only include him, but, but David came to find in God one who would intervene for him. One, 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 a, a God who says, I'm ready to help you. My question is, do you know? That's what God says to you today. He's like, I'm the God that intervenes. I, I'm the God who, who says, look, I am ready to help you if you will let me do so. And so David knew it. David knew it right when he's, he's a shepherd and he's watching over those sheep at night. And he knew what it meant for God to be the light who would shine into the midst of darkness. David, who who would be fending off the wolf or the lion, he knew what it was to count on God to be a a source of salvation, to provide that that salvation even from death's hand. He knew as a shepherd what it was like to, to face a storm or a foe, to need to run into a stronghold, a cave, a place of security. And in each of those ways, David says, I found God to be this one who intervenes in my life. And I want you to see today, David doesn't just know that simply theologically or theoretically. He knows it personally. See, it is insufficient theology to say God is light, God is salvation, God is stronghold. Because I want you to understand today, God isn't just light in a vacuum. He's not just salvation in isolation. He's not just a stronghold in in some sort of sterile ivory, ivory tower kind of way. No, there's a really important word that David uses when he describes God in those three ways. Let's go back and look at the verse one more time. And this time I'm highlighting different words. The Lord is... Light, but he's what? My light. The, the, the Lord is salvation, but he's what? My salvation. The, the Lord, he's the stronghold of life, but, but no, he's the stronghold of my life. Y'all, here's what you got to see. Theology is simply the study of God. But hear me, to understand God, you got to not just know about him. It's to know him. To understand God, you gotta, you gotta know him, not just know about him. So I challenge you, don't just throw God in some sort of theological framework like a test tube where you think you figure out how it works and you've got him pegged. I promise you, you do not have God pegged. If you think you got God pegged, you don't know who you're dealing with. You don't realize who you're missing out on meeting with. 
You only get him if you see how he's invited you to know him. David doesn't just recognize a God who includes him, a God who intervenes for him, but he also understands him to be a God who invests in him. Do you know that God believes in you and that he pours himself into you? Now be careful here. Don't twist around what I'm saying. Because I don't want us to walk out of here celebrating the fact that it's all about us because it's not all about us. It's all about God. And I want to be real clear that God is not here in a role to support your goals. I'm going to say that again. God is not here in a role to support your goals, but he is there to support you in his goals. He sets the goals. But don't miss how far God will go in this. Do you realize that, that not only would he come to die for our sin, right? Not, not only would he take our place, a substitute, taking the penalty of sin, he dies for us, rises again. But Galatians tells us that then God himself, his spirit, he pours into our hearts. I mean, isn't that just almost too much to like take in that, that God himself is like, look, I, I'm coming to live in you. I, I pour my spirit, myself into your life. Some of you have some really deep wounds that need to be healed. And some of those wounds are connected to a rejection where you should have found some things from the people that you could have trusted the most, but you didn't get it. Some of you can be healed of those things by the father that I'm telling you about today, a heavenly father who includes you, who intervenes for you, who invests in you. The problem is you are so busy keeping him at a distance. And he's like, I'm not going to heal you from a distance. Because this is not about you just begging me to do something. This is about you knowing me. Oh, that's the difference for David. Just one thing I want. I want to be with you. God, I want to take you up on this invitation to know you, not just to know that you are light and are salvation and are a stronghold. No, God, I want to know you're my light and you are my salvation, and you are my stronghold. God, that's how I want to know you, a God who has included me, a God who has intervened for me, a God who has invested in me, a God who says, come on, Jeff, you are invited. And here's what I want you to see. God invites the uninvited and makes us an inviting people. It's the coolest thing. He's like, not only am I inviting you, the uninvited, in, but when I invite you, the uninvited, in, I'm gonna turn you into a people who invite the uninvited in. 
Because when you know me and I pour my spirit out into you, you're going to start to look like me. Your heart's going to start to love like me. So I invite you, the uninvited in, and guess what? You're going to start to invite the uninvited in. This is who I make you to be. Through your love, God has chosen to let the world know how much he loves and invites them in. So I'm going to wrap it up today by just giving you three really practical, I think, considerations that if you want to be the kind of person who invites people in, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to knowing who this God is, what does that look like? Here's what I want you to consider. As inviting people, number one, I challenge you to seek to include someone in the ordinary things you do. Seek to include someone in the ordinary things you do. Now, here's where I'm going with this. When we talk about, hey, I want you to, I want you to think about who, who is it that God wants you to include, right? Who is it that God wants you to bring into this whole picture to let them know, here's who this God is and here's how he loves you. Here's the pushback. Here is the pushback. Jeff, I just don't, I don't know how to find the time to do that. I don't know how to find the time to do that. Because I, I work all week and we play all weekend. And I don't know how to find the time to do that. I, I work really hard all week. And, and then on the weekend, it's just kind of that time to try to figure out how to catch your breath and, and regroup in order. It's like, I, I don't know how to do that. My, my point is, what if God actually wants to do all that in the ordinary? What if it's just ordinary stuff in your life that you start inviting people into? Now, my goal here is not to like get people to do your yard work for you. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, right? It's like, well, I got to do yard work. I think I'm going to invite them into the yard work, right? My, my point is not, come on, you, you know your heart. But the point is, it could be something that you need to get done around your house and you don't fully know how to do it. And you can either let your pride overwhelm you and, and, and never, or you could actually even see that as an opportunity to invite somebody in to help you figure out how to do this. But what you know is really behind that is you really want to get close enough to this person to express to them that there is a God in heaven who wants to include them. Just look at the ordinary, right? You're going for a walk or you're eating, uh, sitting down for a meal or I'm saying you like to shop, you, you go on a road trip. How about this one? I've been really trying to study my Bible, but my kids just won't leave me alone. Ding! How about you and your kids talk about the Bible story? You and your kids sit down and talk about the Bible story. It's like, well, it's just not at the level that I'm really one. I understand, but that's where you are. And what if suddenly in this moment, it becomes a part of you being able to give your kids something to hold on to and teach them of a God who wants to include them. I'm saying sometimes you just got to look at the ordinary. We're always looking for these extra moments and, and how much time can I give? I, I'm not even telling you to, to stop enjoying all the stuff that you want to enjoy. It's just a lot of times our, our understanding of enjoyment is I work and then I try to escape. And Jesus is going, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I understand everybody needs a vacation, but your life is not supposed to be completely about always escaping every week. Your life is supposed to be about leveraging it to invite people into this kingdom because you were uninvited, but I have now invited you in, and now that same grace is supposed to be extended to you. So, so maybe you're going to keep enjoying the same hobby. Maybe it's fishing, it's, it's playing ball, it's playing golf, it's what, whatever it might be. It's going to a lake, it's going wherever. But come on, in the kingdom of God, what that looks like is you are inviting the uninvited to come hang out with you. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. This is about me escaping. This is about me getting away from it all. There are moments to rest. But our life is not given to us to escape this world. We learned it last week. Our life is given to us to leverage it all to invite the uninvited in. I'm preaching hard today. But some of y'all hadn't been here in a while, so you need it, right? Second one, second one. See the need and intervene to help meet it. We talked about this last week. Um, if you missed it last week, I'm encouraging you to go back and listen to it. The point is to see the need, speak the need, rally support for the, the need, supply the need, sympathize the need. See, my question this week is, what step have you taken since last week besides taking notes? What step have you taken since last week? And if you took a step since last week, to meet the needs in somebody's life, I'm cheering you on. If you have not taken a step since last week, I'm just telling you, I'm going to keep saying this over and over and over again because throughout the scripture, God keeps saying it over and over and over again. See the need and intervene to help meet it. And then last, see the potential and invest to cultivate it. I'm talking about seeing the potential in other people. The older I get, the more I understand this to be the purpose of my life. I love taking a look into the lives, especially of young people who are choosing to follow Jesus and just seeing the potential and the talents. See, I want to be the guy that goes God really does have some cool stuff for you to do in his kingdom. I, I want to be the guy that goes, no matter what anybody's ever told you, I believe in you. I believe in you. But more importantly, God believes in you. And so together, come on, let's follow God in what he wants you to do. I, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that sees some next generations rise up and, and really believe God for who he is. I'll close with this. I heard the story the other day about a, a UFC fighter who won a championship in his weight class. And in the interview, after his victory, one of the reporters said, is there anything you'd like to say to the folks back home? And before the reporter could even finish the sentence, the fighter grabbed the mic and in a bitter, angry tone said these words. 
See, Dad, I told you I'd amount to something someday. And all of a sudden, it was really clear. That fighter had placed his dad's face on every one of those people he had ever faced inside that octagon. Why? Significant wounds. Wounds that happen when the people that you should be able to trust the most don't bring what you need the most. I want you to know. Oh, I want you to know. Not only does Jesus grant forgiveness. And come on, I'm not playing that down today. How big is that, that Jesus would forgive me, that Jesus would forgive you, that he would totally erase our record of wrong as though it had not been done, right? He never brings that up against us again. He forgives us. But can I tell you, he goes further than that. Not only does he forgive my sin, but he wraps his arms around me. As a heavenly father, he wraps his arms around me. He says, I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you in. I include you. I intervene for you. I invest in you. I encourage you. Turn to him. Turn to him. And the more you turn to him and know that he includes and intervenes and invests, the more you will find your heart freed up from the wounds of those who have never given that to you. And then you will be ready to invite, to include, to intervene to invest. God, I ask on this day that we would understand a little bit more how absolutely mind-blowing that you would want us. That you would wrap your arms around us and include us in your family. That you would wrap your arms around us and intervene, God, in every circumstance of life where we need, we hurt, we search. God, even to the point that you come to live in us, God, fully invested. God, today might you give us eyes to see and this week, God, might we pursue more than we ever have before. We want to know you. I thank you, God, for making it that every single one of us can know you. I thank you, God, that it's not based on what we do. 
in the sense of our works that we earn, but it's your grace through our faith in you. God, may we today hear that truth. May we want to know you. In the name of Jesus, I ask it.